the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we're back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany here on 930 AM, The Answer, uh, my home where I started. And uh, also with my partner, the African-American Network Television, where we have a local feel and a global reach. And today I have a special guest, Mr. William Tut. Mr. Tut, you want to tell my audience a little bit about yourself? Yes, absolutely. Hello, everyone. My name is uh, William Tut. I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist, and I also wear the title of criminal justice behavioral consultant. Uh, I have over 20 years of experience in dealing with uh, at-risk youth, gang members, uh, the prison population, and also studying the effects that poverty has on its inhabitants, but also studying post-traumatic slavery disorder, you know, which affects African-American descendants as well as, you know, the white descendants of slavery. I um, have lived in San Antonio uh, most of my life since 1972 when me and my mom lived here, moved here. And, How uh, old were you in 72? In 1972, I was two years old, so that makes me 51 years today. I was a baby. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was a baby. Yes. I, um, I published a manuscript titled Urban Psychotherapy, a Professional Outlook to Understand the Hood Mentality and the Urban Identity Theory. It's a manuscript that um, has all of my research in it, and it also has uh, my diagnosis of what poverty and slavery, you know, has done to the mindset of the inhabitants on this earth, you know. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've also studied the prison population and the, the mental behavioral condition that arises while a person is intoxicated, excuse me, incarcerated, and also what happens to them post-incarceration. What happens to the mental processes then? Wow, that's a lot to... Okay, so I want I want to break this apart and let the the world see why you do what you do, because I think that's important when anybody is trying to uh, understand something. A person, it's one thing to study a particular subject, but when an individual knows what that life is and knows what people are facing, yes, that makes what you do a little bit more intense. Like you're going to dig deeper and go further than the average person would. More meaningful. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really does because... Um, you know what what needs to happen, and you know what what you know that somebody can come back from the the worst moment in life. They can come back. Yes, we can. You know. So tell us about your life. My life. Um, let's let's. I'll go. Back, I'll go to possibly the the negative part of my life to lead up to what I'm doing now. So. Um, in 1983 in Los Angeles, California, you know, I got inducted into the 9-9 Mafia Crip Gang at the age of 13. And when I came back to Texas, you know, I could be considered, as far as the files are concerned, one of the first Crips on record, you know, in Texas at that time. You know, I, I want to s- s- stop you there. Yes. At 13 years old, you're just a child. Yes. You're just a child at 13. Unfortunately, in our society... 13, if you're 13 and black. You're an adult. That, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. The the penal system sees you as an adult. And, and decisions have been made that that's how we're going to see a 13-year-old. But the reality is that at 13 years old, you, you're not capable of making 
good decisions yet because you're only you're just a child you're you're in you're seeking something you're seeking belonging at 13 years old i absolutely agree and you know to to talk about the psychological effects of being 13 um is that you're not making a grown folk decision you know you're making a decision that's influenced you know by your environment Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would first like to say that, you know, I'm not proud of, you know, what I've done and what I became and, and all those that I've influenced to become gang members, you know, because I understand now, you know, what I've done to another person's life by influencing them in that manner. Now, you got to understand that, you know, at that age and as I got older and began to understand what the gang life and what my position was really about. Because, see, I was never one that was considered to be a gang banger. I never, you know, took action towards another rival set or another man of color. You know, I was into it, you know, for the drugs, for the women, and for the robbery. Because my name in the set was 211. You know, and 211 is the code for robbery in California. And that's what I did. I robbed jewelry stores, cash adheres. You know, and I lost 13 years of my life in prison because of that. Uh, I went to prison at the age of 19, and I didn't get out till I was 31 years old, and I'm 51 years old today. Wow. But while I was in prison, and this is a, a story that I love to share with everyone, I was uh, chasing after someone in the school building, and I ran into a classroom, and the teacher said, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, man, you better mind your own business. And I looked around, and I left. And when I left up out of that class, the student said, hey, do you know who that is? You know, that's Tut. You don't want to mess with him. You know, he speaks for the blacks and he's the leader of the Crips and he has a lot of power around here. So I guess that conversation really affected Dr. Al Cook. And about two weeks later, I seen Dr. Al Cook while I was walking on the uh, concrete. Inmates walk on the sides, staff and uh, security guards walk in the middle. So Dr. Cook stopped me and he said, hey, can I have a word with you? And I stopped. So my homie stopped, too, like my mm-hmm. security detail or mm-hmm. whatnot. And he's like, can I have a word with you? I said, yeah. He said in private. I said, no, nah, if you got to say something, you can say it in front of the homies. And then he was like, I just want to ask you one question because I seen how you came in my classroom the other day. <clears throat> so it started clicking. I said, oh, mm-hmm. that's who this guy is. He said, are you going to continue to lead your people to destruction? And I looked at him. I said, what? He said, why don't you come and take one of my psychology courses so, Sean, that's, man, first of all, ain't nobody finna F with my mind. I already got it going on. I know what's going on with me. Don't, I don't need nobody to help me make decisions or change my mindset, right? Mm-hmm. So I carried on about my business. So later when I went back to my, uh, my holding cell, I was playing chess with an elder, and he had already been locked up 15 years. So I told him about the situation, the scenario that happened. He said, man, that's Dr. Al Cook over the psychology department at Athens, Texas. He said, you need to go ahead and take one of his courses. So I listened to the elder, and I went and took one of his sociology courses. And six years later, you know, I took every single psychology course that was available because I realized that I was not making my own decisions, that my environment, the music, and my peers were influencing the decisions that I was making. So I decided to study psychology and to further my education in that field. But what I realized was that people of color, people suffering from poverty are being misdiagnosed because if Caucasians are the only test subjects and for me to derive this research and these diagnoses and these theories from, then how can I apply that to someone that's suffering from poverty or people of color? Because our environment dictate different type of behaviorisms. The Mm -hmm. mechanisms and the structure is totally different. You know, poverty, it is a design paradigm. It is designed to create people with negative behavioral problems, people who are more attracted to crime than you are to education, people who have been conditioned, and we'll talk about that more, to divide the household and to say that it's okay and it's really not. Wow. So tell me, okay, for you personally, what was it? That really, really, at what point did you really make that switch? Because taking a psychology course or taking multiple psychology courses, at some point you took something, something switched in you. Mm -hmm. So what was that? You know, how did you decide, okay, I'm going to go from taking this course, like this is speaking to me, 
and now I'm going to change the trajectory of my life. Like, because changing everything that you, you did had to influence the guys that were following you. It had to influence, you know, because you're not you're going against the group mindset. Yes, you're all right. of a sudden. Now let me let me break that down. And that was a very good point, Tiffany. <clears throat> so as I was awakening within myself, mm-hmm. you know, I still had to be this tough dude on the outside. Yeah. You know, so how said, did you do that? Crip. It says Mafia Crip on my back, South Texas OG. So people were still looking up to me, but what I did was this was the pivotal moment when uh I kept a locker box, and when new guys would come in or whatever, we would that didn't have much, we would give them a hygiene package. So one of the young guys came over. He might have been about 23 or so at that time, and I gave him maybe about $50 worth of commissary and hygiene for him, you Which know, to, to get on his feet. Yeah. Yes, a lot. Mm-hmm. So later on when he got himself situated, he came back down, and he whispered in my ear, say, oh, gee, let me tell you something. If you ever need anything, you just let me know. I'll do it, whatever. All you got to do is say the word. And right then and there, I said, now see, this is what Dr. Cook is talking about. I can lead this man down the wrong path, or I can sit him down and show him what I'm learning and how I'm transforming in life. So what I began to do after that, because I was very heavily into the Islamic community, because on Saturdays I could go down there and give what's called a kutpah, which mm-hmm. means an opening talk. So mm-hmm. that's what I started doing. I started going down there talking about my research, talking about how uh, I was wrong for telling you to do this and you to do that and leading you down the wrong path. Because mm-hmm. now I'm seeing that I'm not making a conscious choice. My choice has been influenced. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And at that moment when that guy whispered in my ear and I looked at him and all I could say was, all right, little homie, I got you. You know, to still play this tough role on the inside, but I'm playing dominoes and in my mind. I'm like... I can't do this no more. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Because yeah, I could. It's not right. It's not right for me to lead people down the wrong path. So even guys that know me from prison, they'll tell you this man made a change, and he started working in G building, talking to the warden, talking to the major, trying to get a better conditioning, a better living conditioning for our people. I tried to talk to the to the to the Mexican gangs, the white gangs, and the black gangs. To be peaceful, don't you see that this conditioning, this environment, is causing us to want to go at it? But at night, at 10 o'clock at night, we all get the same doors closed in our same face. We all living up under the same conditions. But they mm-hmm. didn't realize that. Some of them did and some of them different. So that's why I brought the GRIP program, which is gang, rehabilita- gang rehabilitation in progress here. And this is what I practice here. I try to help gang members and at-risk youth and those coming out of prison to understand the cognitive behavioral dissonance, you know, that we have from our Caucasian counterparts. So when you started making this change and people saw it, what did that do with amongst the guys that followed you? Many of them didn't have the opportunities like I did, in other words, to set up a meeting with the mayor, set up a meeting with the city council members, and set up this because, first of all, you have to have a plan. You have to have Mm -hmm. a mod. You have to have these types of Mm -hmm. things together. You have to have your your 501c3 in order. You have to have your DUNS number, your SAMS number, and all of these things. A lot of things that you don't even realize. That I didn't even realize until I got into the political game as far as trying to get Mm -hmm. funded and grant money. And so a lot of my peers are not going to take that time and do their research because they yeah. got to get out there and hustle because the bill is due. Yeah. And that's what the environment dictates. So mm-hmm. I took it upon myself to go out there and get this money, get this so that I can come out into the streets and show individuals and teach them and train them so that our mission statement is to enable positive thought during challenging and critical situations. Because during challenging and critical situations, all we think about is fight or flight. See, and we do not have any other options. And you go right back it. to the thing. You go that right you back know. to the thing that you know. Yeah, exactly. That's it. I mean, that is a that is a a fact about the human condition is that whatever it is that that is your your compass, you're going to go directly back to your compass. You can change that compass, but it it takes work. And it takes uh, it takes work for the right. individual to change the compass, and it doesn't help if you have an environment that is uh, toxic to you. It doesn't help. You know, we we have so many things. I, I say this 
uh, to my my family. My family and I talk about this all the time. That uh, right now we've had a pandemic. Yes. And I, and I really, you know, I I certainly try to look at things in an analytical manner, but at at the same time, there's there's still the God manner, you know. And uh, I grew up. I understand what you're saying about about Islam. I'm a Christian, but I grew up in Saudi Arabia. Part of my time was there, uh, and lived in a little city called Yambu, Saudi Arabia, between Mecca and Medina. Uh, so I understand the is Islamic faith and and how beautiful a faith it actually is, uh, not as it is has been villa, villainized here. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, into one monolithic view, which is something that, that we do a lot in the United States, and we shouldn't do do that. We will take a monolithic view of, of any group. We, we take a monolithic view of black people, a monolithic view of conservatives, a monolithic view. And that view, view of, becomes a view of millions. Yes, and it's, and it's wrong. It's wrong to do that uh, in, any, in any case, and especially with that particular religion, because uh, when we lived there, you could leave your doors open. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, it was just, uh, it was a, a very, uh, a beautiful place. The, the, the waters weren't, uh, overfished. We, you could snorkel and it was just a beautiful, beautiful place to be. But, um, when we're talking about creating an environment, we have food deserts, we have illness in our bodies and in our minds. And when you look at this pandemic, it's literally stilled the earth. And and I always say this was God's way to say stop and listen and reevaluate what you're doing. Those of you who have the ability to stand up and who have a platform, use it and use it properly. <laughs> you know, to to make a change for people because to expect a government to handle everything. Well, governments don't do a very good job of that. We see that and all over the only, world. Not only that, this government was not designed, you know, to help people of color. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. a whole other subject within itself. But. Yeah. You know, and it, yes. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and on top of that, uh, it they don't work very efficiently, period. If you even, even if you take color out of it, they mm-hmm. it doesn't work. You know, it's it's one of those things where, we have to utilize what we can utilize here in terms of, of laws and making change legislatively. Like that is the first order of business. And then secondly, look at, at stand up and help the people around you and charge them with helping people around them. And that's what I see when I look at what you're doing. You know, yes, you you may have made some mistakes because you were a child thrust into an adult decision as a child, Mm -hmm. making an adult decision, looking for something, seeking something that you should have had, you know, but you didn't. And finding it in, in a gang, because I've seen so many things on, you know, just researching what, what draws someone to a gang or a cult, or because it's the same sorts of things that drop. It, it starts from childhood. Mm-hmm. It starts from your adolescence, and 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 the things that you're inputting, and the parents are allowing you to be input into your mind. Mm-hmm. But some things we are not in control of, and we'll talk about that, which is verbal subliminal suggestions. So, what are you? What would you say starts in childhood? Like how how can you prevent that in your in your Kids, I, you know, I have an eleven-year-old and right. a nine-year-old. A lot, of, and a lot of our listeners have have kids and right. grandkids, you know, who are influenced by culture. The thing is that, um, like, my research shows that many individuals that are involved in negative behavior cycles, making bad choices, can't keep mm-hmm. employment down, can't uh, keep a relationship no more than a year, uh, in and out of prison, in and out of jail, always uh, catching minor cases or even felony cases, they fall into a negative behavior cycle. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do is, first of all, look at the dynamics of the home. You know, what's going on in the home? How much stress and anxiety is in the home? 
because PBT is parental behavior transference. Not only do we transfer our skin color, our hair color, our eyes, but we also transfer our anxieties, our alcoholisms, Mm -hmm. different behaviors, and different preconditioned belief systems that we'll get into in a minute. And what that does is Mm -hmm. it already presets a pattern for the child to follow. So Mm -hmm. children that do not follow that pattern, I'm just going to use this as an example. I'm a football player. I play football all my life, but my son wants to dance. So I have to support that part of his life and not make him try to follow my pattern. Mm -hmm. So now let's go to the negative part. Every day my son is riding with me and I'm listening to shoot that, kill that, smoke that, drink that at the age of two, three, four, and five. Mm -hmm. So we are already programming. We're putting a negative behavioral app into the brain already so that when you the stimuli is there to activate that app, it's just like when you touch it on the screen. You touch the app, you said install, Mm -hmm. right, and then you hit run. And it's -hmm. the same thing with the mental concept. But we have to study the dynamics of the home. I I 100% believe that because <laughs> because you you can see that mm-hmm. like you can see that and you can see it in your own even if you even if a person doesn't have the capacity to 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 see it elsewhere you can see it in your own home with your own kids you know you can see it but do you like say for instance the individuals that are influence their children in a negative way. They do not conceive that conception. They do not, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not, they're not able to say that what I'm doing or what I'm telling my child is wrong because mm-hmm. my mother did it, my grandmother did it. So, and maybe they're not seeing it as wrong because exactly. they're not even actually telling their child this. If they're playing music or they're, or, or, point, or something, right. is, they're like, well, this is normal. Right. This is, it's what everybody does. Right. You know, uh, and but that, Thinking reinforces stuff that people say, like, black people don't. Black people don't. Like, I've had people say to me, oh, you you speak another language? Black people don't speak other languages. Yes, we do. We speak plenty of other. There are are literally millions of black people who speak other languages. (laughs) Literally millions. (laughs) You know, like, to tell me something like that is is ludicrous (laughs) to make a statement like that. But that statement is made often. If you say that to children and you go into certain environments and talk to the kids, they think that that uh, black people don't talk this way or you don't speak with a certain diction. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're trying to sound white. There is no sounding white. Mm -hmm. There is educated and uneducated. Mm -hmm. That's what those two things are. But somehow, this is, has gotten into our community. It's a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> that, yes. that to be educated in black is to somehow not be black. Yeah. Yes. Which, that, that is a source of infuriation for yes, me. Yes, it is. It's a source of infuriation. And it's a lie that wasn't even put in the black community by black people. <laughs> you know, but yet we're we're walking around believing it and perpetuating it by saying things, certain things are and aren't black. And I'm just like, there's no such thing as as diction, as uh, education being exclusive to any group. That is correct. It, none of that is but exclusive to any group. our environment dictates that. That's right. Our environment tells our kids that, and especially kids in the most vulnerable environment, which is... You know, it's the the pain of our society, and it should be the pain of everybody's heart that that uh, these beautiful children are being sucked into a world before they even know it that they sh- that they don't belong in that right. isn't isn't theirs. You've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany, and I'm here on 9:30 a.m. The Answer, uh, my my home, and representing the African-American Network, where we have a local reach and a global feel. And I have had a wonderful time talking with uh, William Tut, and we will be back to talk some more about what we can do in our neighborhoods to improve the lives of our children, what kind of agency we have as parents and as human beings to do the right thing for our kids and to make the right decisions for ourselves because uh, we can. 
And we hail from kings and queens. I always remember that. I always remember that black people. The the very uh, theology, the very the very things that we hold dear, reading, writing, all of those things, that came from us. Those things came from us. The this is a life that you can have. This life was meant for you. You have agency, you have power. You've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. Come back, let's talk some more. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister? Is your brother? Is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. And we're back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. And I'm your host, Tiffany Smith, here on my home network, 930 AM, The Answer, and here representing the African American Network, where we have a local feel and a global reach. And I have a special guest, Mr. William Tut, a cognitive therapist who is making a change and a difference in our world. And I want you guys to hear. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Tut. Uh, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist. I also wear the title as the criminal justice behavior consultant uh, by going into the prisons, you know, and uh, talking to the in- inmates and trying to get them to, you know, change the way that they see themselves in their community, try to get them mm-hmm. to change uh, the way that they process information, if you will. Uh, I have an organization that's called Cognitive and Behavior Redirection Center. And a part of my organization, we have two major training components or modules, if you will. Uh, The first one is the GRIP program, which stands for Gang Rehabilitation in Progress. You know, our motto is to try to enable positive thought during challenging situations. Now, a lot of people that live in the hood don't recognize what a challenging situation is because we're like chameleons, we adapt, you know, to the stress or to the anxiety that we're up under, and then we keep on living our lives instead of allowing it to, you know, be a a, a brick wall, if you will, in our pattern. And the second component of the training program is urban psychotherapy, law enforcement, and judicial training. And this is this component right here is, is my pet peeve and very important because of what we are now able to see on a multiple scale, the abuse, you know, that law enforcement has administered, you know, on the African-American poverty, impoverished communities for, you know, so many years. Um, the, the police department has a, a motto and has a theme, you know, that, that stands for by enemies necessary, get the job done and I got your back. So what that would tell me as an officer is that, you know, I can break the law. I can violate your rights because they have my back. Because this type of brotherhood could be considered to be, you know, a gang. And I want to talk about about the uh, training for a police department and why it is so important for them to receive this type of training. Because officers are influenced by the commanders to make arrests, right? Arrests are down. We got to make arrests. So I'm sending out a verbal subliminal suggestion to, by any means necessary, make that arrest. Now... What neighborhoods do officers patrol the most? The neighborhoods that are high in crime. The neighborhoods that are low in crime, you know, they only go there when there's a call. 
So if I'm considered to go and to patrol this neighborhood and I got to make arrests, then when I see a group of African-American young men, the preconditioned behavior system of the law enforcement is to do what? Enforce the law. Now, let's go all the way back to the 1700s. And we have to show that the badge and what it stands for. So the African-Americans who were slaves at that time, they created what's called the plantation police and gave these individuals badges and the right to become slave hunters, you know, to hunt the runaway slaves or those who were disobedient and to either discipline them or to bring them back dead. And they had the right to do so. And they would fill out these documents, you know, as far as who they captured or who they killed so that you can be taken off of the list and off of the count, so to speak. So as the people in the North began to say this is inhumane, whites and blacks in the North began to say this is inhumane and protest against this type of behavior and, and authority that was given, well, they sanctioned them by law and allowed them to become law enforcers. So if it says whites over here and blacks over here, now I have someone to enforce that law. So the concept of protecting and serve does not apply to the African-American community, to the communities of people of color, especially to the individuals that live in the hood, the mm -hmm. urban environments. So if I do not understand your condition, if I do not understand the mental way that you think as an officer, the preconditioned behavior of being a slave hunter is alive right now today. The mm -hmm. concept of then of me being able to whoop and beat my slave because I am the plantation officer and not receive any type of punishment charges is still the concept and the preconditioned behavior that you see today. This is why it's crucial for officers to receive this urban psychotherapy training to understand the effects that slavery has on the African-Americans and the Caucasians. You see, because we're not the only ones that suffer because the, the fact of privilege is a real diagnosis because you can have someone, and this has been proven in social media and in research, they had an a, a, a individual who was poor trash being interviewed and they still considered to be better than Jay-Z and Beyonce, even though, you know, they're highly educated, worth millions, and these individuals barely making enough money. But the concept that Jay-Z and Beyonce are black, that they're the N-word, and that we are white, still prevails, even if I'm down here at the total pole socioeconomically. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So the fact about privilege and these preconditioned behaviors, it's alive within the police departments right now today. Now we take an African-American police officer, a Chinese or Hispanic police officer. You know, their intent is to go in there and make change, right? They grow up wanting to be officers to make change, but yet and then they also become a part of the preconditioned behaviorisms and preconditioned beliefs. Because once you're in this gang, this law enforcement society, I don't want to keep saying it's a gang because that's the wrong word to use. And I'm not being disrespectful to law enforcement. But once you become a part of this law enforcement society, there's always already a preconditioned behavior and a belief system. Do what is necessary and I got your back. So what is your when you train officers? What are you, what's the outcome you're seeking? The like, outcome, how do you... the outcome that I'm seeking is to enable positive thought during the challenging situations, but to also have for them a, too, for them, at them for as them well, too. for them, especially mm -hmm. because I teach, uh, de-escalation, right? Mm -hmm. Prior to going to the scene mm -hmm. and it starts with the dispatcher. Oh, we got so-and-so, so-and-so, a black male, this and this and he's right there. If someone will report differently, we have a male, this and this and that, this is the description. And remember, guys, use discretion and de-escalate the situation versus a, hyping them up. Because as soon as they get a, out the car, there's many. When I teach and train, I show many videos of when the officer puts the car apart, runs over there. The suspect is already handcuffed and subdued. So what was the kick for? What was the extra hit for? He's already there and subdued. He doesn't know what to do with his adrenaline. You see what I'm saying? He doesn't know how to de-escalate or how to put himself into call upon something. One, two, three, then get out the car. 
You see what I'm saying? So you okay. said he's been hyped up. He's been he's hyped already up already. Hyped right, up. right. And he gets to the scene and his adrenaline's going. Right, so there's nothing that he can do with it but release mm-hmm. it through his training. And this is why you hear about defunding the police. It's not about not paying them because we need the police to, to you know, secure our neighborhoods and borders and yes, whatnot. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes. But, but defunding them means that you don't need to learn tactical holes. You don't need to have all of this tactical gear. Right. Does it protect you? Yes. But it also encourages you to be more aggressive. You see where I'm going with that? Yeah. So we look at the front lines and we hear what they're saying. Go ahead. So you're saying to to uh, demilitarize the police to some degree because because uh, that is a very militarized mentality to Mm -hmm. go right in and go with the highest level of of of. Threat. Uh, yeah, of, mm-hmm. of, of aggression exactly. in a situation instead of walking in and observing the situation before taking action. Right. Because uh, that's how we get situations where, where a child who's holding, you know, a toy gun gets shot. You know, simply just standing back, Taking a parameter and wa- and watching what's going on before mm-hmm. taking any action. And see, that's my whole point. When, when when they're in this conflicting situation, right? They're already trained to think a certain way. Mm-hmm. So this is why I offer this training, you know, to allow you to make a better choice, a better decision, because the pattern has to change. We're going to continue to see more abuse, more deaths. I don't know how many deaths in 2019 and 19 that we've seen. You know, that we actually saw happening. And what what I see is murder. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But being a police officer and the concept that I have your back, and then when we talk about the next thing I want to talk about is epigenetic inheritance, right? So the effects of slavery, you know, lies in our genome makeup, in our genetic makeup. So you have your chromosomes from your parents that are part of your DNA that will never change. But the DNA can be altered. It can be altered. You have what's called writers, erasers, and those that accept the traumatic experience that people go through by giving that, that, that concept the protein that it needs so that you can transfer that behaviorism or that pre- preconditioned belief system or that privileged right you know, to the generation and the next generation on. So when I teach the officers about VSS, verbal and visual subliminal suggestions, so when another officer sees the Rodney King beating and see that they all got away with it, that is a visual subliminal suggestion to tell me that my behavior is okay. Then we have those visual subliminal suggestions that are unseen, right? The ones that are placed in cartoons, the ones that are placed in advertisements, the ones that are placed in, in the things that we read, but we can't, the subconscious mind don't pick it up. But once the trigger word, make America great again, it triggers you, and then you act out with a predisposed belief system due to epigenetic inheritance. And epigenetic inheritance is the science behind the same effects that we're experiencing as African Americans. We go at each other. Why? We live under the same cognitive, economical disadvantages by living in the hood. But we are conditioned to not like one another and to respect the Caucasian, you're at the stoplight. The music is playing. The officer rolls up. You turn the music down, get up, put the seatbelt on and straighten up. You're conditioned to do so. On the other side, little Willie pulls up. You look at him with, what's up, homie? What's up, cuz? What's up then? And that is a conditioning behaviorism, you see, due to environmental dictation. This is why it's important for this training, you know, to be for law officers, and the GRIP program for the individuals that are suffering these conditions in the hood because they're not going to go see the psych. And the psych is not mm-hmm. going to come to the hood to give them a proper diagnosis. Psychology is the study of behaviorisms of individuals in their natural environment. Mm-hmm. Which means the environment that they are perpetuating and don't even know that, they're, that they've got this this uh, crabs in a bucket thing going mm-hmm. on. We talk about that all the time. All the time. As, as uh, black people, we discuss that all the time, that that, that uh, people will see one person moving forward and try to pull that person back. No, you're not supposed to do that. That's not what you're supposed to do. We don't have to worry about white people coming in and, and uh, holding us down. 
when we do not. Because we're, we're doing it ourselves. Correct. We literally have to, uh, and that's why I like the training that you're you're talking about because there is more to this than just you need to go get a job or we oh. need to have better jobs over here. Yes, and that's, that's, that's the more thing. To that doesn't because there's a the mental, yeah, mm-hmm. there's an entire, there is an entire, I mean, if even if, before you can get to change or alter epigenetics, before you can get to the point of changing and altering epigenetics, you have to recognize That's that true. there's a that there's a a problem here, and there's a problem that that we have to look at and identify as this is not who we have to be. You don't have to be in a specific little box to be black. There is no definition. The only definition of of you being black is the color of your skin. You get to define who you are and who you're going to be in this life. As soon as we can impart that into our kids, into our community, you can define yourself. So today you can decide, I want to redefine who I am. Yes. That's one of the things that I love about your story is that, Yes, you were indoctrinated into probably one of the worst environments that a person could be indoctrinated into at 13 years old. You're just a kid. And at that point, when you're thrown into that, it A, looks perfectly normal. B, what you were doing in that environment was trying to be successful. You're being very successful in the environment that you're in because we are. There is something in us that wants to be successful in every single human being. You want to be successful, no matter what, in whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you're being successful in that, but you had you always had the agency to be the success that you are today, to reprogram what you were thinking, and to change your whole life and change the trajectory of other people's lives because you've done that. By being who you are right now, you know, I'm sure that you lament some of the things that you did when you were when you were a kid. But you need to remember all the things you've done in the last 20 years that have been so life changing for everybody around you and creating a program like this, the throwing that pebble into the pond of life, all the ripples that are happening because of it on the police side and on the the kid side that's something to be commended you know i'm i'm really proud of what you're doing i appreciate that and and i i love this you know I, i'm 100% behind you and what and and what you're doing for for our community and for uh the caucasian community it's it's really something that will you will foster difficult conversations but unite people in a way that that uh they need <laughs> that they des- desperately need. So tell me some more about when you do this with with police officers, mm-hmm. w- do you have any data on how, how what kind of impact you've had okay. with them? So uh, thus far, like my program is an evidence-based program. Mm-hmm. So I have evidence-based, uh, you know, a 10-year span for the GRIP program. So due mm-hmm. to the pandemic, uh, in 2020 is when I'm just getting started. So mm-hmm. I would have to run a program at least for about one year, and then it's going to take me at least about six months to gather that data. Now, when the officers receive this type of training, right, I have their name and their information. Now, you track them after that by seeing have they been written up? Have they gotten any grievances? What is their percentage now of stops versus uh, whites, Caucasians, and Hispanics? And that is the way you gather that data and information to mm-hmm. see if there is a behavioral change. But the thing is, is, is go back to what you're saying. So if I sit there and go, Tiffany, you have a scratching problem. You're going to go, no, I don't. Then I'm going to say, okay, let's look at the film. And then you're going to see yourself scratching, but it's normal to you. It's mm-hmm. normal to your mind. It's normal to your brain, Right. So until I show you that there is a problem with the way that you think, with the way that you behave, this training, you know, has a probability of not being successful or acceptable. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because if you recognize, okay, maybe I do pull blacks over more than I do whites. Okay, now I have an opportunity to help this officer as well. You see Mm -hmm. where I'm going with that? Mm -hmm. But if you do not want to make a change, you're comfortable in your zone and where you're at, 
then the program is less effective that way. Sure enough, they'll get the information. Sure enough, they'll see the same situation and scenario, but will the behavior change? So a part of the training, one more thing, a part of the training is that once I train the officers, that next day we go out to the hood so they can identify these behaviors that they would identify yesterday as being negative. That's, I think that's a really, you, you have some evidence in, um, there's a program uh, in Camden, New York, mm-hmm. that they did something similar to this. Not the, not your training, but uh, having officers walk the streets and get to know the the people, their, like their job. I know exactly, I forgot that. the name of that, but it's, it's yeah, still being, Camden, getting back into the community. Yeah, right. and uh, I think you have some evidence that can can boy up your uh your premise here for what you're what you're doing work wise because um uh, we're primed for that for what for this particular program right yes. now. It, very, this, very this much time, so. This period of time is, yeah. is perfect for this program. So so what I do when prior to the training we give what's called a pre assessment. And you know it it says, do you know what an E D is, environmental dictation? And it's a it's a multiple choice questionnaire. Of course, they don't know that environmental dictation means that my environment dictates ninety five percent of decisions that I make. How you walk, how you talk, how you dress, right? Mm-hmm. Then he say, "Do you know what the hood mentality is?" You know, it's it's me with an outward expression representing where I'm from. Because when people dress, you can look at them and pretty much tell vario hood uh, uh, professional. You can pretty much tell the persons by their dress and their behaviorisms, right? So when we look at that, we have to say, do you recognize that as a negative behavior? Yes. So now go through this training. So now you're able to say, excuse me, son, come here. You're suffering from the hood mentality. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> because the officer is the first one, the first contact, you know, when you're arrested. And they can, you know, start right there, you know, administering, you know, urban psychotherapy. Not asking officers to be a social worker or a psychologist or anything like that because they have enough on their plate already. Mm-hmm. But you're the first contact prior to them going into that dungeon and then their mind steadily being manipulated in a negative way. And it's it's wonderful to have an officer actually understand it. Right there, when you understand something and you can put a face to it, it makes it uh, more real to you and it makes that individual more human to you. Yes it does. Yes it does. So that you know, I I like what you're you're doing here. Have you talked to the San Antonio Police Department? As a matter of fact I have. I uh I did a presentation uh with them in June of twenty and uh at their TIT, which is trauma informed training, and they love the presentation, but it's all based on funding. You know, they mm-hmm. they saying that well, all our they, funding for the next few years, they're it. open to the suggestion of this training, mm-hmm. absolutely, you know, but mm-hmm. it's funding. And then it takes three years for me to present my uh, my curriculum and for it to get approved, you know. But I, So we've been trying to talk back and forth and figure out how can we make this, you know, a, a, a drop-in session, you know, as a, as a consulting training or whatnot. And have you talked to um, the county? Yes, I have. I've reached out to uh, Tommy Calvert, and he set up... Uh, matter of fact, a Zoom meeting about a year ago with the sheriff, and I presented the program to him. And once again, it's about, you know, funding and the facility. You know, how are we going to facilitate this? Is it going to be through Zoom? Is it going to It's a lot of different parameters that I'm being thrown at, which can be taken care of and answered, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just know that it's, it's just smoke because, like I was told a long time ago, that this program is going to put a lot of people out of work. Because if I change 100,000 gang members in the next five years, that means that they're not going back into county jail. That means that they're not going back to prison. That means that officers are not making arrests. You see what I'm saying? So if the black community and Hispanic community start thinking right and making right choices, people will be put out of work. Well, and I understand I, I think that. we need to put some put some people out of, out of work. Yeah, we need better decisions and choices. And uh, let's, let's work on, on getting that funded because... Uh, it's what is we can't worry about industries we have to worry about individuals <laughs> and I like having that. and having good citizens giving people the right and the opportunity to be who they should be who in this life be, yes. you know instead of instead of reinforcing every negative thing we can reinforce and and leaving someone who is ill-equipped to make the change. Mm-hmm. It, it was was the grace of God that you met someone 
who had you take psychology courses. That is unlikely to happen to uh, the 100,000 gang members that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. That's unlikely to happen for them, you know. But this could happen for them. This could happen for them. It, It will only happen if it's done with intention and purpose. And put there so that they can they can change, yes, and they can experience the change in life. Um, you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany, and thank you, William thank you for Tuck, for coming me. and for talking about this. It's one of the many difficult subjects that we have to discuss, and I hope you've listened to this perspective and realized that talking about slavery, talking about the effects of 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 what this has done in both in all of the communities in the U- the United States is important. It's an important conversation. It's not an, uh, a finger pointing conversation. This is in our forum. We are about solutions, and William Tut has a solution. Let's let's help him get to where he can get that solution funded. Help our our police officers our citizens, and all of the people that are affected by this mentality. Let's help make a change. That's what we're all about here. Different perspectives and seeing solutions. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany on my home, 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and the African American Network, Network, where we have a local feel and a global Holy. reach. <laughs> All right, you guys, I'll see you back here next week. Have a great week. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930 AM The Answer. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister? Is your brother? Is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.